the the remake that Vin Diesel was in, which was originally originally conceived by uh, David Ayer, and then rewritten by uh, Rob Cohen, right? Who ended up directing it. I hate you, and I hate this game. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. With me again is Keith Foster from San Diego, California. And you are Cassidy Robinson, and you are recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. And today we're going to be reviewing the Netflix original film, You Are So Not Invited to My Bar Mitzvah. And for the streaming homework, we're going to be doing the movie that you decided. Uh, that is 2018's Game Night. Uh, yes. One of the last like blockbuster comedies I can remember. You're not wrong, and you know we might we might get into that a little bit in the review, but um, yeah, it is not. A great time for comedies and theaters. I I think, you know, it's no secret. A big part of that is streaming. um, And historically, comedies are cheaper to film. um, And so, you know, it, it makes a certain amount of sense that instead of going through the marketing budget for something that might not recoup its losses they just get released straight to streaming now as we will discuss when we're also talking about you're so not invited to my, to my bar mitzvah yeah uh which is uh adam sandler affiliated through happy madison mm-hmm. um we'll we'll get through all of that but but first uh what's up with those aliens what do you think? From Mexico? <laughs> Are you talking about the one from, like, of all the fucking crazy alien shit that has been declassified and... Uh, declassified. Uh, no, I mean, dude, when you have fucking people from the Air Force, you know, testifying in front of Congress that they've seen some weird shit, which, you know, that's all that it really amounts to is, yeah... <laughs> I seen some weird shit, um, <laughs> but but in this case, it's like they're it's fucking paper mache, bro. Like that's not a real alien. I and I want to believe I am right. I am the Fox Mulder in this situation, and I see that, and I'm like, nah, that's you. That's a kid's like high school project. Like we right. made that in high school. Yeah, they're they're like two and a half feet, and they look like they're they're carved out of stone. They're supposed to be petrified. Um, I just think it's well, funny that every bit of evidence that uh, does or doesn't come out, you know, it's like first mm-hmm. they have like you know some guy in front of Congress talking about how he's seen some some weird stuff and some shit. Yeah, yeah, and everybody's like. Did you though? 
And then, and then, uh, now we have this. We have these weird, petrified, alien looking stone creatures out of Mexico, and everyone's like, nah. We're all fucked, though. Like, if they see alien, if they see, like, all of the ways that extraterrestrials have been portrayed throughout media for the last, I mean, since media has existed, yeah, we're fucked. We're all canceled. Earth is canceled. Um, (laughs) That has to be the uh, poster quote for, like, the next big... Alien blockbuster. Earth is canceled. <laughs> Earth is canceled. Let's fucking pitch it, bro. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I... Okay. I mean, they're always going to have Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Arrival if they want positive alien representation. Hmm, I, I guess. That's my point, is I think it's coming mm-hmm. from a place of ignorance and... And maybe a little bit of distraction, but more just like, isn't this shit wild? I absolutely believe that we are not the only living creatures in the solar system because within the universe, because that is insane. Like the idea that we're the only life in all of creation is fundamentally insane. But I don't necessarily believe that they have visited Earth because uh, then we're getting into, you know, some scientific problems. Mm, Yeah. Well, food for thought. Um, All right. (laughs) From that, let's go ahead and... You started this. You started the show hot. I know. I was looking for a hot take, and you gave me your thesis on life on other planets. Let's go ahead and talk about you are so not invited to my bar mitzvah. I'll go ahead and sum this up. Uh, So, you are so not invited to my bar mitzvah, rolls off the tongue, is directed by Sammy Cohen and written by Allison Peck and uh, Fiona Rosenblum. And it stars Adam Sandler as Danny Friedman, Adina Mazel as his wife, uh, coming back is the role of his wife after mm-hmm. Uncut Gems. <laughs> um, his actual wife is in the movie as well, playing uh, their daughter's best friend's mother, uh, Gabby Sand- or, or Jackie Sandler. And uh, the movie stars uh, Sadie Sandler and Sonny Sandler as Stacy and, and Ronnie, the preteen girls, who are more sort of the star players of this, of this movie. Stacy and her best friend Lydia are headed into their bar mitzvahs, and they're learning the Torah. Um, but more importantly, they're planning their bar mitzvah parties that they've been planning their whole lives. And they have big expectations over who's going to have the better party and what these parties are supposed to entail, including, you know, uh, disco music and uh, Twizzler machines and, <laughs> you know, lights and celebrities. Well, I- 
I mean, I think most people pretty much get the idea of what a traditional bar mitzvah sure. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. This movie is less interested in the actual religious ceremonial aspect of it, as yes. insofar as the main character is interested in it, which is just to get it over with. So she can get to what she really wants to do, which is have this huge grand celebratory party and sort of flex on her friends. Well, I mean, that, that you know, that is kind of her arc, right? Like, that is the right. transition from childhood to adulthood is is learning what is... And that's sort of what this movie is about, is learning what is actually important uh, within this uh, ceremony versus the preconceived notions you have of it. Like they have these grand ideas for what the party is, but they don't, you know, the, the main characters don't really have any thought of anything beyond that at the start. Right. And so, uh, they're planning things together and they're sort of trading notes and, uh, things kind of get wrecked when a boy enters the picture um, one of them uh, gets embarrassed by the other, and they start sort of fighting over who's going to get the attention of this would-be crush. Mm. Um, and this leads to this greater escalation of trying to embarrass and uh, ruin the other person's bat mitzvah that's coming up. It, it Yeah, it becomes kind of this competition... Uh, you know, we see these best friends for life who are sort of um, separated by the situation. Yeah. So Sonny Sandler as Stacy and Samantha Lorraine as Lydia are essentially the leads. They have, you know, a sort of friend group that they share, even though at the beginning of the movie they're, they're, they're sort of fractured um, mm -hmm. and their female rabbi that they're attending school, the Torah school for, played by comedian uh, Sarah Sherman. Yeah, another SNL alum. Yes, uh, she's uh she's bringing back big Miss Lippy energy here. Um. <laughs> and <laughs> I love Sarah Sherman, by the way. Like she's yeah. one of my favorites on SNL at the moment. Um and, and I appreciate that they let her role be a little more grounded than Miss Lippy. Um, sure. But yeah, yeah, she's sort of an oddball, kooky. She's yeah, kind of kind of a hippie, kind of a hipster. She's trying to be cool with the kids and get into their lingo and, and play along to get along. And while at the same time, knowing how to sort of nudge them in the, in the right direction and, uh, ever so vaguely queer coded. Um, do you think a little bit? Yeah. Her and her, uh, her, the other guy who plays guitar, you know, they have that, they have that kind of like theater camp counselor energy. I think she's very funny. I, I like her a lot. But, I do too. Um, and she's probably my favorite <laughs> thing in this movie. Um, you know, this, this does skew a lot younger than I realized. Uh, yeah. Starting yeah. it. And it, it's way less of an Adam Sandler movie. Uh, 
I mean, his fingerprints are all over it, and it, it kind of has his sensibility, but mm. it feels like sort of Sandler Jr. Yeah, but but that also kind of makes sense given the subject matter, given the the you know the cast. Right, um, it is a family affair, and so like all of that makes sense. Um, but I agree with you, and. I I don't I don't know if that's something that I necessarily judge the movie for or actually appreciate about it because um, there's I'm kind of half know, and it, half on it. I think there are there are times like when it comes to their friendship, you know, the core story of the movie, yeah. her arc, um, you know, uh, uh, Sandler's daughter as as the main as the lead her arc in the movie and what sort of what she learns and, you know, some, some of the, uh, the more true to life, uh, parts of the, of the coming of age thing. Like when she tries to get attention for, from the boy, she invites a bunch of friends over to do like basically like a full set of like, uh, uh, photographs that she just so happens to have on her phone when she mm-hmm. accidentally slides it to him so that he'll take a look. Um, you know, some of the stuff at the at the Torah school is very funny. Um, well, what, what, what's interesting, though, is like, typically when we think of coming of age stories, right, what like we it's generally more of high school uh, uh teenager becoming adult right like it's usually somebody on the cusp of graduation or or just entering high school or just entering college and you don't get a lot of you know there is a whole transitionary period sort of before that yeah Uh, awkward middle school years other than something like say my girl I, i can't think of a lot of movies that try to cover that ground in a way that's not pandering right that, well, that are the movie that came to my mind the most while watching this both in contrast and in similarity is the movie eighth grade by bo burnham which i i haven't seen but yeah um which that movie takes this you know razor sharp uh deeply personal deeply real feeling of the subject matter also a person of a very different socioeconomic mm-hmm. uh situation than the people in this movie who are you know science fictionally rich yeah um, yeah i mean there I mean, that is a whole other <laughs> thing we can talk about but like yeah the <laughs> economics of this movie are wild because it's it, they are not coming from a middle class family they are coming no. from fucking adam sandler's actual uh <laughs> you know his right. actual fucking tax status even when even when judd apatow is doing the everyman family thing and he would still be in like the easily over a million plus a year um yeah, yeah. this this makes that look tiny in comparison i mean these are like the lives of literal celebrities yeah um, yeah and and i i do think i do agree with you in that way 
it is I think it's out of touch of what it wants to be, which it does want to be a, a sort of broader, uh, you know, it wants to be a family film that anyone can sit down and appreciate. And I think families can sit down and, and have fun with it, but not necessarily relate to it. I, I think on a broad scale, yes. I think it's going to be... Yeah. It's, these experiences are not going to look like a lot of other people's. But but what I'm what I mean by that is I think they want it to appeal to that broad scale. I think there's a little bit of naivety. Uh, sure. When it comes to that, I think you could even I, I, be a little bit more self aware than that. But I think there could be something more like a um, fantasy wish fulfillment. You know, like playing up. Uh, I mean, I, I, I understand I that, that these people, you know, the Sandlers and their friends and stuff like that, this is probably pretty close to the type of life they can live. But even mm-hmm. then, you know, the way the movie's lit and shot, um, there's something, you know, specifically like West Coast California high life yeah. kind of thing. Uh, no, I, I agree with you. I don't necessarily think that was intentional. Maybe. But, maybe, maybe not. But, I, th- I think when you're looking at, like, the parties, you know, like the mm-hmm. the actual yes. bar mitzvah yeah. parties, which, you know, what they're seeing in their mind versus what it's really like is sure. virtually identical. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, plus or minus a few details, like but, what celebrities they're able to get to come. Um, and, and I... I think that okay, so that brings up kind of an interesting point to me. I I felt like that was kind of the point of the movie was you, you know it's this idea that the bar mitzvah is yes it's supposed to be a party, but throughout there you know there's so many references of like Adam Sandler and Adina Menzel and they're like. You know, when when we had our party, it was just us hanging out in grandma's basement. Sure. Yeah. I I thought that was kind of where this movie was going. I thought that was going to be kind of the point is it's not about the big party. It's about all the other stuff. And then the big party, you know, the party is just to let all of that go It, it is to we've done it, you know, we've made this transition and let's celebrate it. And so in that sense, I felt like the movie, it kind of betrays itself a little bit because of that. Like, yeah, I I felt like the core of this movie is about the simplification of that, that, you know, that the, the, the true meaning of Christmas, if you will, um, for a bad uh uh metaphor but like you know the idea is it's not all about the big party it's about the actual act right and it's about what happens after and who who you leave behind and who you know what you've learned along the way and all of those tropes that we've seen in a number of coming of age movies so Mm -hmm. and and i think for the most part it's well-meaning and pleasant And often funny where the movie kind of falls apart for me is it's so over directed and it's uh, 
so highly produced. Like everything about like everything in this film looks like a music video or a commercial. There's a music sting about every 15 seconds in this movie. Uh, the, the movie like seems desperate to try and hold somebody's attention. So they, they either move away from a scene too quick before it can really develop or they, uh, they just have another like music montage or something like that. Um, or they'll, yeah, you know, they'll, they'll lean on a bit maybe, but I, I'd actually prefer if they're going to do that to just lean on bits and, and stuff it full of comedy. Sure. Um, yeah. but well, what, what they do instead is they hmm. just kind of create this, uh, you know, Beverly Hills, um, paradise fantasy land mm -hmm. that's about as real as Barbie world from from the Barbie movie earlier well, in the year. It, it, it almost starts to feel like a little bit like reality TV, you know, like the, the right, way... My super sweet 16, exactly. like that kind of yeah, stuff. Like the, the sort of um, wish fulfillment fantasy elements of it. And if there had been uh, if there had been some sort of satire there, you could get away with doing that. Oh, but no, this is this is not what this movie is about. It's no. there it is not ironic at all. No, that's why I'm saying I th it 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 just sort of selling this lifestyle as uh something that's, you know, aspirational while at the same time trying to stuff in a, a, an emotional story wherever it can in between these overbearing aesthetics. I I honestly feel like th this movie just feels so, so sort of out of touch with everything that's, you know, real right now. That <laughs> if this had come out 20 years ago... I could have bought it a little bit more, <laughs> um, but but you know something like this coming out now, it just doesn't feel authentic. Like a yeah, like a genuine experience, and and that isn't to say that I don't think. I feel like everybody's turning in a good performance. I feel like mm -hmm. the movie's heart is in the right place. It just feels out of touch. Yeah, I mean, largely that's that's how I felt too. I I don't even I don't even have that much moral objection to the choices. Just oh, in so sure. far that the choices themselves are distracting from the story. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, if you wanted to make a movie about, you know, rich Beverly Hills teenagers, um, Clueless is one of my favorite movies of all time, and that, you know... Yeah. But that movie is aware that that's the world that these people come from, and who they are, and their superficiality is part and of the, what they're learning about. Yes, and that's... It, it is just sort of soaked into the movie. Whereas this, this movie feels unaware of its privilege and status and all of those things. Like 
it, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think if this had come out 20 years ago, it wouldn't feel so fake. But because it is now and just the way it portrays things as reality, it, you know, it, it's only reality for a small margin of people. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm well aware that I'm not the intended audience for this movie and became yeah. increasingly aware as I was watching it that this is not only a family movie, but this is really for tweens. And yeah, for well, that, and, and, for that, it is better than most. And that's, that was kind of something I was trying to say earlier was like, I think the fact that it is skewed a little younger and it is, you know what I mean? It's not graduating high school. It's not graduating college. It's, it is, you know, a younger generation, a, a younger age turning to their teenage years, essentially. Right. A different kind of arc than we normally get. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it, it does skew younger, and I kind of appreciated that, because the movie doesn't play it younger. Yeah, and I like that it, it is um, distinctly a young girl's experience, you know? Yeah, her, exactly. Her uh, insecurities, her first crush, you know, the, the complications of of having a friend from childhood into your middle school years and how that can, you know, uh, become fraught with different cultural status things. And I, I think, honestly, I think that's where a lot of the best comedy comes from. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's like these moments where she's trying to talk to the boy she has a crush on and he's just like, you know, beating the shit out of somebody with a, a nerf baton. Right. Um, you know, it, and he's such kind like the male, uh, love interest is sort of so shallowly, so shallowly written, uh, that I, I enjoyed all of that a lot. Yeah, and, and, you know, the little bits that we do get with the adult cast, you know, uh, Adina Menzel and Adam Sandler, yeah. uh, Sandler's uh, real-life real wife as her daughter's best friend's mother, and uh, Luis Guzman kind of shows up at the end, mm -hmm. um, the, uh, the DJ Shmuley character, uh, all of the people, the, the teachers at the school and the rabbi. All of that I really like. Of course, I'm going to gravitate towards that because I'm an adult and I'm, you know, trying to find something to tether me onto. But, um... Well, I, I also think, though, that the the kids are pretty... The kids are good. You know, yeah. They're good actors in their own right. Like, it's... it The material skews a little young, but they they do a good job. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the two leads... Um, Adam Sandler's daughter, Sadie Sandler and Samantha Lorraine, like they sell it there. There's yeah. no complaints there. And their friend group is solid. And I wish you know, the, the movie had 
had as much confidence in them yes. as we can see. Yeah, because uh, it does tend to like cut away to a joke or cut away to the adult group to like it, it almost feels like the movie's reassuring you that like, yes, Adam Sandler's involved in this. Mm. And I would have liked to see more scenes of just the kids being kids together. Um yeah, and, I agree with that. Uh but you know, like I said, it, it did it did kind of remind me of sort of a bizarre world version of eighth grade. And mm. I'd say whatever it is that you liked about this movie, you're going to like in spades in eighth grade because that movie is, you know, cuts all the frills into like the yeah. you know, the the awkward aspects of that age. Mm-hmm. Um and is really, really uh character focused. Um I also thought a little bit about another movie I think came out this year, uh the animated film uh being read. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Was that this year? Uh, I think so early, yeah. Early in the year. I feel like that was last year. But but yes. Uh I I can see that. It's a coming of age story. It's about it, you know, a it's a slightly younger coming of age story. And I think that's also, you know, when we're talking about women's coming of age stories, it tends to be a little bit younger than, than men. Yeah. Um, you know, because biologically that transition happens a little bit younger for women. And yeah, I, I can see that comparison. And I there's don't a know where like I was a going with that. there's a cultural aspect to it as well, yeah. and sort of living up to an adult standard, and you know, mm-hmm. so uh, it, it it pairs well with that. Um, I wouldn't say this is like a must see, but if you have kids or if you're vaguely curious about any of this, you could do a whole lot worse. It's pretty watchable. Um, yeah. It's, well, especially in the Sandler canon, right? Like, this isn't... Sure, yeah. It's not gross out. It's not um, It's not so dumb that you feel ashamed for watching it. It's, it, it is trying its hardest to appeal to a broad audience, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and the cultural-specific stuff does make the difference. And yeah. I think that... Uh, there is a smarter movie happening here than even the movie knows sometimes. Um, I agree with that. So I'm giving it a B minus, but it's mm-hmm. it's pretty uh, pretty solid. No, I, I was I actually had the exact same grade in mind. B minus. Um, I think it's it's decent. It's not it's not going to ruin your night, but it's also it could be there are a few things that could have elevated it i think okay before we get into our second review the streaming homework game night uh i did have a game i wanted to play with you okay uh this is another sort of quizzy type thing came up with uh this is 
Is it a remake or not? Oh, Jesus. Okay. Okay. So, it's exactly like what it sounds like. I'll name the movie (laughs) and the year. uh, And then you will tell me, is it a remake or is it not? Uh, Okay. All right. Okay. Let's see how this goes. All right. We have The Client. From 1994. Is it a remake? I thought you had had like posters and stuff. Uh, I've never even heard of this movie. The Client? Uh, Who's in it? uh, This was a Joel Schumacher movie, I want to say. It has uh, Susan Sarandon and Tommy Lee Jones. It's a courtroom drama. I'm going to say it's a remake. And you would be wrong. <laughs> uh, this I've was, never even heard of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was during that period when Schumacher was doing a lot of uh, John Grisham adaptations. Sure. So yeah. this is well. I mean, the, I feel a time like to the, kill is the slightly bigger one. I feel like the '90s in general were a big time for Grisham's. Yes. Uh, so I even remember a very funny joke on uh, Third Rock from the Sun. So that's outdated this reference is about how they were all like reading different Grishams. <laughs> right. Um, so this and A Time to Kill uh, were both, uh, I want to say both directed by Schumacher. Um, and they came out just a couple years apart. And they were both adapted Grisham novels by Akiva Goldsman, who also wrote the screenplays for Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As well as A Beautiful Mind, which is one of the worst screenplays to win Best Adapted Screenplay. Sure. Okay. Number two. <laughs> the Birdcage, 1996. Oh, fuck. Okay. That is not a remake. Starring Robin Williams and Nathan yep. Lane. Nathan Lane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You would be wrong. It is based... What the fuck? It's based... I'm actually surprised. As a theater kid, you should know this. Uh, this is based on the uh, Italian film La Caja Fall, which was also a very popular play. Okay, does that count as a remake? It's not a remake of The Birdcage. Um, yes, it is. All right. It's a remake. <laughs> sure. Uh, also, you know what? I had to work fucking full-time at a gas station through college. I'm the worst theater kid to ever graduate theater school. Okay, next. The next time I see... The next time I see Andrew, I'm gonna tell him you didn't know what La Caja Fall is. Have you... Okay, time out. Have you seen The Birdcage? Yes. I've Almost assigned that to you a thousand times. I'm curious if how well it holds up, but not I very. Seen it in a while. 
Um, I'm not the biggest fan, but, you know, mm. it is beloved by many. I've never seen Le Cage Fall, though, which I should go back and see. God damn you. God damn you to hell. Okay. Uh, number three, You Got Mail. It's original, but it's sort of the same as Sleepless in Seattle, right? Uh, but it's it's its own. It's original. It is a remake. What the fuck? <laughs> it is this a remake make any sense. Of, a, of a classic Hollywood film from 1940 called The Shop Around the Corner. Um, uh, of course, the email aspect isn't there, but they were uh, exchanging letters or something like something where they didn't know who each other were. Okay, uh, if we're just taking premises now as the terms <laughs> no, for I mean, a remake, it, it is they they reference the movie in the movie. Fuck you, sure. Okay, <laughs> I thought this was an easy game. Okay. Number four, The Wizard of Oz. Now, I'm talking about the 1939, Uh not like Muppets, Wizard of Oz or something like that with Judy Garland. Uh Yeah. It's an adaptation of a book, but Uh did they try to make a movie before the movie? I'm I'm going to say no. I'm going to say it is not a remake. The Wizard of Oz was first made as a movie in 1925. No, uh, this one I I felt like it could have gone either way. Like this yeah. this it it this one is not as I'm going to say that you're ruling on you got mail and the birdcage or bullshit. This one I will accept. By saying that remakes that were definitely remakes or remakes. Okay. Um, this game is so fucked. Okay. They don't <laughs> always have the same title, but sometimes they do. Okay. Uh, number five, L.A. Confidential from 1997 with God damn it. Okay, Kim Basinger. This one, this one feels like it should be a remake because it's... It, it, it feels so noir. It is definitely referencing... older Hollywood style of movie, but I'm going to say it's not. I'm going to say it's original. You are correct. Yes. Uh, Hell yeah, I got one. I'm on the board. (laughs) This was uh, adapted from a book by James Elroy um, by Curtis Hansen. Um, Famously was in Spinal Tap and a lot of uh, stuff along those lines, uh, as well as a famous director. Okay, number six, The Man Who Knew Too Much from 1956. This is the Alfred Hitchcock film. Okay, so now I... Did Hitchcock do a lot of remakes? I don't... I don't know that he did remakes. Um, I'm going to say it's not. The Man Who Knew Too Much was remade by Alfred Hitchcock by uh, 
remaking the movie he had already made in 1934. Uh, he made the movie twice. He made the movie uh, once on his way up uh, in England, and then he made it again with Jimmy Stewart in the 50s. Okay, are you... So... Would you call Evil Dead 2 a remake? No. Fuck you! This is so skewed! Uh, <laughs> However, how is that not a remake? Because uh, it, Okay, fine. Fine, it, sure. It's it references the first one a little bit. I would I would call uh, you know, the American Funny Games a remake of the first one, which would both the same director. Okay. Number seven. Panic Room from 2002. I'm so bad at this game. Um, <laughs> Jody Foster and Kristen Stewart, directed by David Fincher. Okay, so I, I have to walk you through my thought process right now, right? Okay. Since this is a game and I'm bad at it, uh, part of me <laughs> is like, well... All of these have been remakes so far, except one. Um, so I feel like you're trying two. to trick me. There's been two that have not been so what far. Was the, wait, uh, what was not? The Client was not a remake. Oh, okay. Um, so my thought process is this, that the idea of a panic room did panic rooms exist like how long have panic rooms been around as as a cultural concept so now i'm like well what if it's some fucking spanish movie called you know like <laughs> le room de panique and <laughs> I'm going to say this is not a remake. You are correct. Fuck yeah. Uh, this Hasn't was... that been my answer every time, though? <laughs> uh, yeah. Kind of. Um, so this was uh, written by David by David Kep, who also wrote uh, uh, Jurassic Park and a lot of other movies. Famous screenwriter. Okay, uh, number eight, The Fast and the Furious from 2001. No, this is not a remake. No, fuck you. This is not a remake. Is that your Absolutely. final answer, or are you just yes, cursing me out? This, no, I'm pissed at this game. This game is bullshit. This is not a remake. The original Fast and the Furious came out in 1954. It was... Fuck you produced by Roger Corman for the Corman factory AIP American independent fuck you fuck you so hard now in this in this case it really is just like the concept kind of and the title it was a bit a bit more of sort of a mix of stuff um the the remake uh, the the remake that Vin Diesel was in, which was originally originally conceived by uh, David Ayer, and then rewritten by 
uh, Rob Cohen, I think that's his name, right? Um, who ended up directing I hate, it? I, I hate you, and I hate this game. <laughs> okay, number nine. The Little Shop of Horrors. That is a remake. Yes. Yeah, that one. I mean, Little Shop of Horrors has been around forever. It, that was a stage play. There was a movie before the Rick Moranis movie. That one. That, uh, I'm not that bad of a theater nerd. That one's been around forever. Yeah, you would have. <laughs> you definitely should know that one. Uh, also, a Corman movie, the original from oh. 1960. That I didn't know, but that's fun. Okay, last but not least, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Come on. No fucking way that's a remake. No, I'm going to say no. You're going to say no? Yeah. And you would be correct. Thank God. <laughs> However, <laughs> this did have a an interesting... Uh, production. So the project was originally bought, brought to Disney uh, by S Stuart Gordon, the horror <laughs> director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Brian Usna, who also uh, who had written a few Stuart Gordon movies and had directed the film Society, I think the same year that this movie came out. <laughs> 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 I mean, all of that's amazing. Uh, and then eventually Gordon was taken off the project replaced by Joe Johnson. But I mean, that's no offense, Stuart Gordon. That's probably for the best. Probably. I don't, it seems I don't a little bit that's... more to his sensibility. But you can kind of yeah. see where all of those people's sensibility ended up in that movie since it's so... Mm. It's definitely in reference to like the Atomic Age uh oh, movies from the fifties. Yeah, and, and I think it, or or even like the uh um oh what's his name? The Jason and the Argonauts guy. Um Clash of the Titans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, like the the Harryhausen era. I just think it it would have been a very different movie than what clearly they wanted. Well, what Disney was comfortable doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you didn't. It ended up not doing as bad as you thought. Uh, I guess the point is more shit's been remade than you realize. Certainly. Um. Okay. Let's go ahead and start talking about the streaming homework, the 2018 comedy game night. Uh, you assigned me to watch this. Um, mm -hmm. Have you seen it before? And after you uh, explained if you have or haven't, uh, you can go ahead and give us the uh, rundown. Yes, I had seen this once before. Um, so this is about a, a group of friends that meet regularly for a game night. Um, the two leads played by, 
uh, Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams. Um, they met at this sort of trivia night, realizing that they're highly competitive people and that they have this in common. And they have this game night amongst their friends. Um, when out of nowhere, uh, Jason Bateman's older brother, played by Kyle Chandler, shows up wanting to participate. Um, and he assures them that he has set up a game night that they are never going to forget. During all of this, they are trying to not invite uh, <laughs> their neighbor, who's played by Jesse Plemons. They end up going over to Kyle Chandler's house, and uh, he gets actively kidnapped and they are not sure what is part of the game and what is sort of real Ooh. and assuming it is all part of the game they, they're sort of trying to solve this mystery of what happened to uh his Kyle brother Chandler's character yeah. yeah yeah and you know, I think the movie on a broad scale is about competitiveness, right? So uh, we have the competitive nature between um, Jason Bateman and and Rachel McAdams at the beginning, which ends up being their their bond and their attraction to each other. They're mm -hmm. even competitive over whose uh, whose genes are the problem, why they can't conceive. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, the, you know, the, uh, there's a competition between, uh, brothers between Kyle Chandler and Jason Bateman's characters. And yeah, then, uh, yeah, uh, Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams characters want to start having kids and they're not sure why they haven't been able to conceive. And so early on, a doctor proposes that you know, sort of stress going on in Jason Bateman's life, possibly related to his competitiveness, uh, it could be the, the cause of this problem. Right. And during a, uh, drinking game, uh, their friends, Kevin and Michelle played by, uh, Lamorne Morris and Kylie Bunbury. They, uh, they're even sort of competitive over, who had the better breakup when they were like briefly on a break. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it, I found that aspect to be kind of interesting, but basically this is like taking the premise of, of David Fincher's the game and then making a comedy out of it. Well, I, I think it's interesting that you bring up David Fincher because a lot of what I find interesting about this movie is it, it is directed like a comedy, but it also isn't like there's, there's a lot of this sort of moody tone, um, especially in relation to like the establishing shots, mm -hmm. um, which, which sort of show the characters, as game pieces, um, you know, like in cars and stuff. And, and there's this sort of artificiality to it. Yeah. Um, and just in general, tonally, it's, uh, 
it's sort of directed more as a genre piece um, than as a broad comedy, which is one of the things that I think is interesting and fun about this movie. Yeah, I think I think it's it's uh, doing a little bit of style parody throughout yeah. the movie. I mean, I think the movie is always uh, self aware, uh, and I mm-hmm. think it 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 never. It's never taking the stakes of the plot all that serious, even as, you know, people start getting hurt or or kidnapped or murdered or whatever. Like, well, there's, there's kind of this, uh, you know, it, it's kind of this thing throughout where the characters don't know how serious the situation is. Yeah. And so it's it's sort of directed as a thriller, but with characters who don't realize they're in a thriller. Right. Yeah. So it it's a dark comedy of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say particularly dark, but it is, you know, if on like let's say we were just talking about the movie off stream, uh if on the lightest side of something like this you have the movie Date night with yes. Steve Carell and, and Tina Fey kind of going through a similar ish situation, although not nearly as involved or as funny or as well executed. And then on the darkest side of this spectrum, you would have something closer to like Ready or Not, where it's mm-hmm. almost more of a splatstick, you know. Horror, supernatural horror with a uh, tongue firmly planted well, I, in cheek, kind of. But, but I think this movie is referencing different movies than something like Ready or Not, right? Like where, yeah, where Ready or Not is more overtly horror comedy. This is this is kind of a, a somewhere in between with like a thriller comedy. Like it, it, it's less dependent on kills and gore and tension, and more dependent on sort of concept and uh, yeah. So I, I and I character dynamics. Hmm. So I, I think that's one of the interesting things about this movie is like there are horror comedies. There's not a lot of thriller comedies. And well, there was. I, I mean, I, I mentioned date night, and that came at the you know the during a string of a bunch of these. There were movies like that, the, the Killers, um, with uh, Ashton Kutcher and uh, and uh, what's her name, Catherine Heigl. Um, mm-hmm. There were a bunch of like kind of silly things like that, or. Or maybe even a movie like Night and Day, which kind of is like a, a but, little bit more on the action comedy angle. Well, and, and I feel like that's kind of where a lot of the movies you're referencing are, right? Like, this mm-hmm. tends to lean closer to the horror side of it. Like, it's a little darker. It's a little less action-driven. It just feels a little darker, even though content-wise it's not. Um, you know, it, it is a pretty broad comedy, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's, I don't know. A lot of the movies you're referencing are more, I think, skewed action oriented, whereas this is an, 
this is skewed a little more psychological thriller oriented, but it's it's not quite satire, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I would say that it it finds its way there. I mean, especially by the final third, and we're you know we're chasing down airplanes, and sure. we got shootouts and chase scenes, and well, you know and that kind of stuff. That it, is my big criticism of the movie is. I feel like the the final third haters too much, and and I feel like it would have been a lot. It, the the final like sort of bad guy with Michael C. Hall and stuff sort of comes out of nowhere, and I feel like that's not really what the movie was about, and it, it, I feel like it kind of loses its nerve. A little bit near. Yeah, the end. this feels like one of those movies where, um, on the DVD extras, you would get like three alternate endings or something. Yeah, yeah. Because they could have gone a different way, ever so slightly here or there, or just ended sooner, um, well, and, and or ended like- more ambiguous, or or whatever. Yeah, it it feels like there was a studio note of like, well, we need to pay off so and so and and X Y and stuff, um, because the movie's sort of building to all these things until you there's you know a sort of a plot twist, Ooh. and then it re- and then there's kind of like a oh well there was actually this other thing going on on top of the plot twist. And I feel like the it didn't need that. Right. Well, that was, you know, they were trying to, that that's in part in reference to the game. Because that's okay. how, kind of how that movie ends, too. I mean, it's different, but similar. Um sure. And I think that they were, they were sort of playing up to that. And then uh, it, kind of gets in the hijinksy territory um, from time to yeah. time. Now, sometimes I think that works pretty well. There's a pretty great set piece uh, towards the middle end, end mm-hmm. of the second act or so, with where they're juggling this Fabergé egg between them and their friends up and down these staircases. It's all done sort of in a fluid shot or a trick shot. Um and I liked the way that all looked. I liked a lot of the the gotcha moments throughout the well, film. This, I mean, this movie's stylish as hell. I mean, yeah. you can't you can't discount the you know the the set direction and the the look of this movie. Like it, it looks exactly like it should. It's it's this sort of slick, sexy. Thing. Yeah, a um, little, a little, uh, like steely and mm-hmm. sterile. Very, and, um, I mean, <clears throat> very David Fincher. Uh, it, it, it feels like they are purposely referencing Fincher. Yeah, uh, yeah, for a lot of it. Which, but I, I think, I mean, there's also like multiple references <laughs> to an underground fight club and stuff, like. It's not subtle that they are like, we want this to feel like Fincher. Well, it's but- not subtle in that it's 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 a movie in part about movies. It's it's, it's a movie. Yeah, it's sure. a movie that's aware of of movies and it's making 
references both in dialogue and in just in the way that it's made. And this mm-hmm. is this is uh, directed by John Francis Daly uh, and his his uh, partner. Uh, John Francis and Jonathan Galton, who also directed um, this year's uh, Dungeons and Dragons movie. The, mm-hmm. And both movies are very clever. You know, they're, they're, well, com- they're-, they're comedies that are sort of wearing their genre influences. Yeah, um, it, 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 their, their style sort of has this work for hire appeal but with the like genre sensibilities of people who actually like uh, you know understand what they're referencing right and also it's more than just to do the reference like it'd be easy just to make something look kind of steely blue green and then put in some insert shots or whatever, or like, to throw in some Fight Club jokes, right? But it's, right, but but to actually pay that off and to make those scenes look as good or feel as good as the movies that they're referencing. Yeah. Um, so, okay, and I mean that's another thing about this movie is it looks great. It is shot yeah. really well. It's very yeah. slick, very, um, very uh, uh, cinematic. But, of course, none of that would matter if it wasn't funny, which yeah. I think it most of the time is. It does yeah. lean a lot on sort of what these actors bring already, but uh, I, I do but that's that fine. I mean, Jason I, Bateman is maybe a little miscast. Uh, I feel like he's a little older than the rest of the friend group. and Sure, he's playing it down a little bit. But I, but I don't. I didn't ever find him distracting. In well, the and, and he does have. I mean, really in reality, he's probably pretty close to the same age as, as Kyle Chandler, if not older, maybe even. But 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 both of them skew a little bit older than Rachel McAdams and Billy Magnuson, and you know, like right. and Lamone Morris. Like I, I and there even is Jesse a, Plemons. Yeah, there's a slight, but the thing is, they all are working for it, and they're all making it work, right? Like, right. Well, their costumes and everything is is setting them at the same age. Yeah, like they're you, the what's not apparent by what we know by about the actor is being done, you know, uh, behind the scenes, and I think and. and Pretty My reservations works. with that are, you know, I do think he has really good chemistry with Rachel McAdams, so mm. you kind of forget about the age difference pretty quickly. Yeah, no, I, I really like the cast. I like the chemistry between the cast. Jesse Plemons is a scene stealer oh, in he, in the movie. Yeah, he. I mean, he, he's one of those guys who can kind of do anything. Um, but, but this also, like, this movie sort of writes a perfect character for him as this yeah. sort of oddball outsider, like, similar to his Breaking Bad character, but in a less, like, sociopathic way. Uh, it he, Yes, he is definitely highlight. I also think that um, Billy Magnuson stands out a lot to me. 
Uh, I want to see him in more stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, n- not all of these actors are crazy recognizable, except for the leads. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are straight character actors, uh, with the exception of uh, McAdams and and uh, Jason Bateman and Kyle mm-hmm. Chandler. They're really the big four here. And then eventually you get Michael C. Hall, who most people know as Dexter. So they're kind of mm-hmm. pulling in that energy. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, part of me always bemoans these kinds of movies where I like the characters so much that it's just, it's a shame eventually things have to start happening. <laughs> because if I, if I had my druthers, they would, it would just be about literal people just having game nights. <laughs> and it, well, it would, I mean, all the comedy would just come from that. I, I do think there is enough there that you could get that, but I I think that um, what I think is cool about this movie is it parodies genre in a way that's not insulting. Uh, like, it, it embraces genre, right? Um, in a way that, you know, if you got, like, the sort of scary movie version of this it would be more joke a minute and this is still more meant on engrossing you in a reality and and these character dynamics it you know it never breaks the fourth wall yeah uh, i mean it enjoys it enjoys its world building and and bothers to do so and there is a a cinematic element to the movie but it is ultimately all in service of the characters in the comedy and that all works if if it became overwhelmed by the the parody stuff or the style stuff or the action set pieces or whatever then it would just be run of the mill you know something like the movie date night or something like the movie killers or um you know what have you yeah i i think there's and that's kind of why i picked this movie is i I do think there is a love of the genre and there's a love of cinema and on display it's it it could have just been very work for hire um but everybody involved wants it to be a little bit more and mm. i i think that's a lot of fun yeah and we were talking earlier about how like this is this is one of the last movies i can remember where they really pushed a comedy in a big way like a blockbuster comedy with big actors like these used to be 12 of these used to come out a year yeah not not this in particular movie, but something like this with, you know, a big cast of big actors. This wasn't that long ago. You know, you think of the Apatow comedies or you think of, um, you know, the hangover, whatever there were, and all of their copycats, there were a bunch of comedies every year. They used to come out and sell these big casts and they might be high concept. They might not be, but it seemed like after a while, they just kind of stopped making those. And I remember mm-hmm. when this came out, 
it really felt like if this doesn't do well, this might be it. And it kind of felt like it was for a while. I don't, I, my limited memory, there probably was something along these lines that's been out since 2018, but it... There there hasn't been a lot, and, and typically it gets... Unless it's again, independent. Yeah, like, it, that's the, well, and, and the big difference. Well, and we talked about this at the top of the show, but it, it tends to get just sort of released direct to streaming now. You know, there, there's not the the sort of faith in this as a cinematic experience. And I have only seen this movie at home, um, but I think it has a cinematic quality to it that it would have been a lot of fun to watch in theaters. And I, I, I think that there is something about that that is being lost nowadays. Right, because even like the best Netflix comedies or the best Hulu originals or whatever, they're good, and but they're made for much smaller budgets than this movie, certainly. And, and, and they're not necessarily made for a cinematic experience. No, they're and made this... for your tell. They're made for your your phone and your home. Mm-hmm. So they they don't quite have the scope. They don't quite have the budget. They don't have. Uh, the ambition that... Yes, yeah. You know, you look at, like, the 21 Jump Street movies that came out, doesn't feel like that long ago. Those movies were huge. Those were blockbusters with big uh Well, they, they, were, set they were action comedies, right? With an, yeah. With an emphasis on comedy, but they still had to have the action genre parody stuff that that worked cinematically and and i think this is of a similar vein it has to have the thriller cinematic quality and even that type of movie even the movie that this is referencing isn't necessarily getting the theatrical releases anymore no you think of something like i care a lot right yeah exactly yeah yeah that would have been you know, in 2010, that would have been a big in-theater, four or five week, you know, on the on the uh, box office board kind of movie. Now it's like, has its minute on, on a streamer, people talk about it and move on. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that is that uh, for the next episode, the movie we're going to do for our streaming homework is the 1997 film The Ice Storm, which is directed by Ang Lee. And uh, that is available to watch on HBO Max. If anybody has anything to say about anything we've talked about on this episode or previous, uh, you can find us on social media at MacGuffinPod on Twitter, Instagram, um, TikTok. We are on YouTube. Please look us up. Watch our videos that we've been doing, a video version of this podcast. Um, which different shower for nothing. D- differ ever so slightly from 
uh, the edit that I do for the audio. Uh, and we have a letterbox as well where we're po- I post up all of our homework assignments and uh, sort of what we've been watching. You can keep up with us that way. Um, and you can also email us if you have any deeper thoughts at uh, at gmail.com. You can follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram at BC Cassidy, and you can read the reviews I do for the Idaho State Journal by Googling Idaho State Journal Movie Reviews or Idaho State Journal Arts and Entertainment, and that'll pull that up. Uh, and um, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a one-sentence review on iTunes or Spotify or uh, Google Podcasts, whatever you use to listen to us on. And uh, word of mouth is uh, usually the best uh, metric of growth. So if you know people who are fans of movies, who are on Letterboxd or whatever, uh, let them know that we exist and uh, give us a shout out. Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Um, you can also see me perform live at MockingbirdImprov.org. I'm a part of a, a couple shows there, um, Lyrics and Laughs and Improv versus Standup. Um, so you can go to that website and check out their calendar and uh, come see me at a show. And that is the episode. Man, glass tables are acting weird tonight. Bye.